Father, that's our prayer today, is that you would be present here. Holy Spirit, that you would meet us here in new and fresh ways, that you would convict us in the ways that we need to grow, that you would convict us in the ways that we can be ever more like your son, because that's what we're here desperate to become. Lord, we love you. We lift these praises to you. We thank you that we have a space to be present with you. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you meet us here. Lord, I pray over this sermon that you would soften people's hearts to hear it, God. That you would have them have open ears, Lord, to be able to hear the message that you've prepared. Lord, we love you so much and we are so grateful to be in your presence. Thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Anchor. Okay, to start things off, I have a video for you. Um, but before, before I play this video, if you know these words that are about to pop up on the screen, I need you to do your best impression of them. I need you uh, to be present for this video. I need you to speak it with fervor because it just cracks me up. It's funny. Okay, go ahead. together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, then love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your wife. Skip to the end. Have you the wind? Have you the wing? Here comes my whistle okay. now. So we've been in a sermon series called One Hit Wonder, where we're exploring what it means to have your life not resemble a one hit wonder, which we all know and love and we cling to for a season of our lives, right? Like Chubbawoma's, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You know, you all know a one hit wonder. Okay, you have one in the back of your mind that's yours. You love it, you own it. Okay, we're exploring what it means to not have our lives reflect a one-hit wonder kind of mentality, a one-hit wonder status, where our relationship with the Lord is a series of big events, is a series of, well, I was saved, and then I got baptized. That's about it. We're exploring what it looks like to have our lives reflect the life of Christ in between those moments, even in the things that we think of as mundane. So last week, while we talked about physical fitness, Today, marriage is what brings us together. Okay, and just like Pastor Lindsay last week, she had her, her workout clothes on, she was ready to go. I considered wearing a wedding dress, and then I thought, you know, that's probably in poor taste, so I didn't. <laughs> okay, but today we're talking about what it means to not have your marriage become a one-hit wonder. This event where it's something big that happens, and from then on out, that's all it ever was. My challenge to you at the beginning of this sermon, because when we talk about marriage, a couple things happen, okay? So hear me out. The first is that 
couples who are seated together, especially, close down. They're like, either they don't want to look at the state of their marriage or they think it's perfect. So they're like, I don't need to listen to you. Like, it's fine. We, we got a good thing going. We're going to keep doing it. I'm not going to apply what you're about to tell me anyway. So just, whoop, zone. Okay, that's the first thing. The other thing is for my single people in the room, you know who you are. There are a handful of us. Not going to make you raise your hands. We tend to tune out because we think, man, I can figure this out later. Like, when that time comes, I will get there. God will give me this intrinsic knowledge of marriage, and I will be the best at it. Okay, don't do that. <laughs> My challenge to you at the beginning of this sermon is to stick with this, right? Because we're in this sermon series where Pastor Lindsay has told us that out of the four or five handful of messages that you're going to be hearing, that you need to find the one that resonates deep within, that convicts you to a point that you know this is the one that I need to work on. So maybe for some of you that is physical fitness, maybe that was last week's message. Maybe for some of you it was the week before about getting real and get, getting growing. But maybe for some of you that's today's message about marriage, about relationships. Um, and before you shut down just immediately after I told you not to because I did the pastor thing and I called you out and I told you not to and you're still going to do it, okay, before you do that, please know we're going to be talking about it a little bit differently today. Um, because I believe that marriage is an intimately personal thing as much as it is about you and the person that you are married to, right? It's, it's about you. Okay, we're going to be kind of all over the place in Scripture because guess what? Marriage is important to God. You know where he says that? Genesis, the very beginning, okay? But our core Scripture is coming from 1 John chapter 4, and it's verses 9 through 12, which read this. This is how God showed his love among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This might seem like, a, like from the outset, a weird passage to preach a marriage sermon about, right? Because this is some kind of lofty goal. It seems like it, doesn't it? This lofty goal of loving like Christ, of loving like the Lord, right? We have this idea of like, well, well I can't attain to that, right? So like, just throw it out. We don't need to discuss it, okay? And like, how many of you, when you saw your spouse or your soon-to-be spouse, for the first time across the room, you looked and you said, Ooh, that girl is so fine, I want to lay down my life for her. Right, like, that's not initially what we do. Or ladies, you're like, ooh, that boy is so strong and courageous, I want to let the Lord love him through me. Right, like, that doesn't happen, right? Initially, anyway. So what we're talking about when we talk about those feelings that we very first get at the beginning of a relationship is this idea of romantic love right? And romantic love is powerful. Romantic love is the stuff of movies that you just, you want it to last forever. You see people going out on dates. You see them uh, holding hands even when they're incredibly sweaty and gross. Uh, you see gentlemen laying down their jackets so that a maiden can step over a puddle. That's romantic love, right? And it is powerful. Romantic love often is what leads to marriage, but here's, here's a thought for you. Romantic love can start a marriage, but it cannot sustain it. Only true love can make a marriage last, 
And where does true love come from? God. Right. So one of the biggest problems that we have in our marriages, in our relationships, is that we confuse romantic love with true love. We confuse these exuberant feelings of joy when you see a person's face with the long-lasting stuff that gets you through trial, that gets you through depression, that gets you through loss of a loved one. We rely on romantic love to do for us when only true love can. And that's where we fall short. I have some statistics for you to read, and I will tell you, they are grim, okay? But I want you to understand fully the implications of what, what it means for us that we confuse the two, that we confuse romantic and true love. So the Barna Group did a study, and their study says this, that one out of five people has never been married or never will be. One out of five. That means for us single Pringles, there's like a one out of five chance that we will stay single. What? That's crazy. Okay, so that's, that's what does that tell us? That's 80% of people get married. What does that tell us? That those romantic feelings that you feel are not uncommon. Right, that 80% of the population gets those little tinglies for another person. Right, 80%. But here's another statistic for you. Based on that 80% of the population who is married, one-third of married adults have experienced at least one divorce. A third. Of those 80%, one-third will go through a divorce. And I know that some of you might be sitting there thinking with your analytical brains, I like the way you think, by the way, uh, <laughs> that statistics can be skewed to make them say whatever I want them to say. And I'll give you that, right? Statistics are everywhere. We hear them for everything from like, the most dangerous thing in your house, statistically, is your toaster, you know, to like, to statistics like this. But I want to flip-flop it then, okay? So on the other side, what if I told you that you have a one in five chance that you won't be married in your lifetime, statistically? Okay, that's still a pretty slim chance that you're not going to get married. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, 20%. That's a big chance. And then the, on the other side, if you do get married, you have a two-thirds chance of making it. Right, that's still kind of grim, isn't it? It doesn't really matter if I flip-flop it. It doesn't really matter if I talk about the one-third or the two-thirds. The reality is that statistically, we're not staying married like we should. Right, because a marriage is lasting. A marriage is a covenant. And we don't treat it that way, do we? Statistics don't lie on that front. There's something even worse, though. Okay, I want you to hear this. Even worse than those grim statistics. And it's getting heavy in here. I can feel it, okay? Shake it off. Well, maybe after this quote. <laughs> this is what George Barna, who conducted these studies, has to say about this. He says, There no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. Ouch. Interviews with young adults suggest that they, don't, that they want their initial marriage to last, but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. Yuck. There is also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage, in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. That's from 2009. That's crazy, isn't it? It does not look good. This must mean that there's something going on in our marriages. Right? Could it be what we've just posited, what we've just stated? 
that romantic love cannot sustain a marriage, but that we try to make it anyway? Could it be that what's missing from our marriages is true love? Is love that only God can give us? Is God loving your spouse through you? This is what Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pause. Some of you have heard what comes after this passage. Some of you have heard it in sermons about marriage. Some of you have heard it in your own wedding ceremonies. And some of you have heard it used to abuse one or the other party. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. Both of those statements are null and void without verse 21. Without the core of what is being said here, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? Going back to 1 John 4 and thinking about the statistics that we've discussed, I need you to understand something. That in order for your marriage to make it, you cannot rely solely on those romantic feelings that you had at the beginning. Your marriage will almost assuredly fail if that is your failsafe. Your love has to come from a place of submission to Christ. Submission. What is submission? It's giving yourself. It's giving yourself over to Christ that he can live through you. That is how we make lasting marriages. That's how we transition from romantic love to love that lasts. Romantic love to true love. Now, for those of you who have tuned out to this point, up to this point, right, and I know that there are some of you. I know, they're just, in every congregation, there are just those few. Come back. Come back to me. Everybody look at me. Take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. That's some heavy stuff. Marriage is not a fun topic to talk about. I know that. Okay, you guys are doing great. Pat's on the back for all of you. Okay, who is supposed to honor a marriage or marriage in general? Married people? Yeah. Yes, here's what Hebrews 13:4 says. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Who is supposed to honor marriages? Oh, yeah, you guys got it. You're good, man, you're on it. Okay, so if you're married... What is it? Okay. Sorry, I just get so excited when I talk that I just like zoom ahead and I don't need to. Okay. <laughs> so there's the first part. Every person is to honor marriage. That means for us who are single, we honor marriage. How do we do that? By keeping the marriage bed pure. Okay, and this is tough. And nobody likes to hear this kind of stuff at church. Nobody likes to hear it in general. Okay? But keeping the marriage bed pure means not doing what you're not supposed to do before you're supposed to do it. And we're bad at that as people, aren't we? We're bad at that. We like to do what we want to do before we're supposed to do it, okay? If you're married and you cheat on your spouse, that's a bad thing, yeah? Okay, 
So why is it okay for single people? It's not. You're right. The answer was in the back of your head. It's not okay. What you're doing when you have sex before marriage is you are not honoring God with your body. You're not honoring that marriage bed and keeping it pure. And you're effectively having an affair on your spouse before you even know who they are. That's tough stuff to work through. And you're setting yourself up. The statistics are not in your favor. And you are setting yourself up for that marriage to already have a shaky foundation. Part of acting in submission to Christ is to live out his will. And this is what Hebrews 13, 4 is talking about. Honoring marriage. So that means if you are married, honoring your marriage. That means keeping it together. That means staying with your partner, right? And keeping your marriage bed pure. There's a good reason that God has asked us to wait. I have a million statistics I could give you about cohabitating before marriage and how it doesn't work. But you don't need to hear those because we already heard too many. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. I strongly believe that the reason that we struggle with this one-hit-wonder syndrome of jumping from event to event to event and not having any growth in between is because we trust the Lord with the big things, or we say that we do, but we don't trust him with our day-to-day when is it that a marriage fails? Is it at the altar? No, not usually. It's in the day-to-day. It's in what we perceive as mundane. It's in the things that we overlook, that we don't think about. If we don't want to be one-hit wonders, that means being intentional. It means taking ownership, being a leader. Please take this seriously. I don't want your life to be a series of one-hit wonders. And if you're not married yet, it can look like a lot of different things. It could look like you jumping from praying the prayer, God, please let me graduate high school, to praying the prayer, please let me graduate college. God, I trust you with what happens, to I'm applying for this promotion, please, God, let me get it. Right? We trust him, or we say that we do with the big things, and we let him down in the day-to-day. We say... Yeah, you're big enough for my salvation, for creation. I trust you for that. But this right here, I can handle it. This is mine. I know what your word says about it, but I can do it on my own. One-hit wonder syndrome affects us all at some point. So please know that as convicting as that is, you're not alone. But we need to grow from that point. We cannot keep hitting replay on the same song I've had it, Chubba Wumba. <laughs> okay, so how do we start living out this concept of submission, of relational living? I have a verse for you, and it, you, it's going to blow your mind in its simplicity. Okay, blow your mind. Colossians 3, verse 12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and I'm going to add in there, and filled with Christ's Holy Spirit, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The key to submission is not to wait for another big event like you've been waiting for, maybe. It's not to wait for God's voice to come down to you while you're sitting at the altar praying and to hear him say, I love you so much, follow me. He's already said that. He's said that in scripture countless times. 
more than I can convey to you, he has said that already. Stop waiting for an event. It's in the daily submission. It's in the daily practical ways that you can say, I will love as Christ loved. It's in Colossians 3. Right, I have another study for you since we've been <laughs> talking about all these scientific factamajiggies. Um, and it is from an, a man named John Gottman, and he is known for his, his studies on relationships um, and on marriage, specifically his studies. He does these tests in what he calls his love lab, and that kind of makes me a little nervous, but like, if you're going to call it something, I guess that makes sense, you know? But what he does is he takes thousands of couples in, right, he, and he interviews them relentlessly. He asks them a million questions about where they're at, about where their spouse is at, about where their marriage is at, or where their future marriage they think is going to be at, right? And then he calls them in six years later, and he, he surveys those same thousands of couples. Okay, so this is from his, his research, and the people who are still together after six years, whose marriages are healthy and thriving, people who are, who are doing well, for all, all other words aside, he calls those marriage masters. Okay, and for the other people, and there are many of them who are not together after six years of marriage. Six years, guys. That should be startling to you. That should make you feel something. Who are not together after six years, he calls those marriage disasters. And there is one difference, one discernible difference that he can find in all of his research, and it's this. There's a habit of mind that the masters have, which is this. They are scanning social environment for things they can appreciate and say thank you for. They're building this culture of respect and appreciation very purposefully. Based on what Colossians 3 just told us, what are marriage masters doing? They're cultivating kindness. Right? These are the people who don't look at their spouses and think, there's something wrong with you. They think, man, I love you. They think, I can think of six ways that I can appreciate you as opposed to the one reason I'm upset with you for. Right? These are people who lay down their weapons, who say, I have forgotten what you did six months ago. I've forgotten what you did yesterday. I am being kind. Right? And what he, what he has found is that there's this kind of gateway that happens when you allow kindness to take over your life it makes way for the rest of the things that Colossians 3 talked about. It makes way for patience. It makes way for humility. It makes way for compassion. But you have to start by surrendering, by submitting, by making the choice, the love choice, to say, I will be kind. Here's another thing that he found. He said that those who are not cultivating kindness are cultivating contempt. There is no back and forth here. There's no middle ground. There's no, well, I'm not being kind right now, but that doesn't mean anything about over here. If you're not being kind, you are cultivating contempt. And this goes for all relationships. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. Often I found relationships don't stay in the same place even though you might want them to. You don't call your mom for six months, and by Jove, she's got an earful for you, right? They don't stay the same. You're either cultivating kindness, or you are cultivating contempt, 
and I know what I want to be cultivating. What about you? Kindness is the gateway. Kindness is us telling each other, by my actions, I am loving you. I am choosing you. Because true love requires a choice. Romantic love, not so much. Right? You like get the butterflies when any old random Susan comes by. Right? You're like, man, she's very attractive, or he is very attractive. Right? Romantic love is not as much a choice as true love is. Does this kind of sacrificial love, this kind of love that submits, that follows you to the grave, remind you of anything? Should remind you of the way that God loves you. This message about marriage is about you. It is about what you do, what you choose, the ways that you choose to love or to not love your spouse. And before you think to yourself, you know, you're like sitting beside your spouse, I'm not going gonna, gonna to look up so I don't see any of it happening. Uh, before you like elbow them in the ribs, you're like, man, you got a lot of work to do. I need you to understand this. Cultivating kindness is not about how God changes your spouse. Cultivating kindness is about how God changes you. God has fought tooth and nail for your soul. You can trust him to fight tooth and nail for the mundane. You can trust him to fight tooth and nail for your marriage, for your family, for the goals that he has set before you. We have to stop with this one-hit wonder business. We have to stop moving from big event to big event because life, isn't hap life doesn't happen in those big events. It happens in the in-betweens. Trust the Lord with your day-to-day. -day. Okay, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. Marriage is a really difficult subject to think about. And as you're sitting here, if you have been married before and you are one of those statistics, you have been divorced, please, this is not a message of shame. This is not a message of, man, it didn't work out and you are to blame entirely. Marriage takes two but it starts with you. You can start now, in this moment, by choosing to cultivate kindness. If this is the challenge that you feel, please do not look at your spouse. Let it start with God working in you. Let it start with you making the choice. I will be kind. I will love God. I will submit. God, we come before you knowing that this message has a lot of weight to it. Knowing that we have messed up marriage <laughs> in a lot of respects, God. And you don't ask us to feel shame about that. You ask us to grow. Your response to us is be better. Be more like my son. And we can only do that by relying on you. Lord, I pray for the people who feel in their gut now that this is their challenge from the series, that they cannot take another minute of their marriage being the same. God, I pray that you would bless that decision. God, I pray that in their lives they would see the fruit of you working in them, the fruit of you working in their marriage. God, we love you. 
We bring these things before you knowing that we can trust you with our day-to-day just as we trusted you with our salvation, just as we trust you with creation, Lord. You are big enough that you can deal with the small things too. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.